The question of how to best provide a retirement income to defined contribution savers has been a bit of a recurring theme of this podcast and is, I think, one of the most challenging issues for the financial services industry and its regulators to address. There hasn't been a huge amount of product innovation post-pension freedom, but the insurance company formerly known as Just Retirement, and who are now Just, Just, have been doing some innovative work in creating what is effectively a new asset class that behaves like an annuity, but which can sit in a drawdown plan. So here's Peter Ellis to talk me through how it works. And uh, we are recording. Peter Ellis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tom. Nice to, nice to talk to you again. It's been a while. It's been a while. And we should probably start with an introduction. So just tell me a bit about yourself and how we come to be sitting here talking as we are today about a retirement income. Okay. I'm a, I'm a long-term retirement income man, uh, having worked for the Just Group for 16 years looking after the annuity business back in the day and more latterly have got involved in a, a, a new venture that we've we've undertaken, which is to extend the reach of our good old annuity products and make them available to investment platforms, which may seem a bit of a stretch, but actually uh, in today's climate, it's it's resonating very well. And as we've got involved more with the investment community, some really interesting conversations are, uh, are are starting. We'll drill into that a bit more, and I'm really interested to to kind of explore that. Not least because I don't entirely understand it, and you, you've been very patient in the past at explaining stuff to me. So we're going to go there. I want to start off just a slightly higher level because we've just this week had the FCA sticking its head over the parapet again and announcing that it's going to take another look at the retirement market thematic review announced this week but just i mean look we're eight years into pension freedoms which was of course the the huge political disruption to retirement incomes and i think we've all moved on from from whether it was a good thing or a bad thing it just is what it is but i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how you think things have played out over the last eight years what's gone well and where you think the problems lie Okay, yeah, it's an interesting time and it is relevant to, to the conversation we're going to have. But going back in those days, I think everybody viewed that there were too many people having feeling they having to buy an annuity. There was post-RDR, I go back actually those, another two years, Tom, to, to RDR. The uh, advisor community got, felt was much more comfortable uh, running money. And effectively, the the jump into retirement, running money in retirement, felt like a, a, a simple next step. And I think post freedoms, as we saw the, the the large shift of the pendulum to income drawdown away from annuity, mm-hmm. was probably what we'd, we'd we'd probably expected. Maybe the shift was a little bit further than we thought. The issue, I suppose, it, it threw up was that. It became that that sort of binary decision, didn't it, of of income drawdown or annuity, which is best, an A or B, and the bit I think was missed was well, what about the halfway house? What about the the shade of grey between black and white, where we may well have considered a little differently how much annuity, how little annuity does a client want, and it might be zero, but I think what we've found is that many customers would have benefited from an element of annuitization 
it's that sort of rush to one side of the pendulum. So if I were looking back, I think that the freedoms uh, has opened up new, great new opportunities, but perhaps and perhaps covered off by the, the, the equity market performance in, in that time has given an element of assurity and, and confidence that may be masked a little bit of risk management that may have gone a little bit missing. Really interesting. And I think when I was working at Hargreaves, we tried to push the story of, look, you can you can buy some annuity and some drawdown. You can have you can have both together and you can use those two in combination to to manage your overall risk profile and security. And it kind of worked, but I think your point around the, the swing away from annuities is, is well made because in the years running up to pension freedom, I mean, there'd been this widespread recognition that annuities, there were issues with the annuity market generally yeah. in terms of how people were buying them and the value they were getting from annuities, not because annuities were inherently poor value, but because they weren't buying the good value ones that they could have accessed. And that was yeah. clearly a big problem. But the political narrative, I mean, George Osborne's speech in, in March 2014, you know, no one ever needs to buy an annuity again. You know, annuities are bad. You don't want an annuity. Yeah, and, and, and instinctively, people don't like handing over their money. You spend all these years building up a pot of money to just give it away and never see it again. I think people do find that difficult, don't they? They do. And, and I, as I say, I totally agree that there are many benefits from being in a position to hold on to the investment and take a, a solid income from that. The, the issue I think we found is that the, the risk measures around that probably didn't exist. And, and again, I go back to RDR, where I've often wondered what would have happened if freedoms had happened before RDR? Ooh, would RDR have actually had to consider and really get the, the advisor community to, to have a better insight into the risks of drawdown, drawing down money? And, and making that last a lifetime without the inherent worries and, and risk to the customer. And that's always a, a, a thought I've always had. Well, would the world be slightly different if RDR had come post-freedom? And I guess in sequencing terms, the you can go back to Callum McCarthy, and you know the, the regulator's head was a lot more concerned about the advice market going back to sort of 2008, 2010, 2012, than it was about the pensions and the retirement income market. I mean, they launched mm. the retirement income market study in February 2014, <laughs> and a month later we yeah, had the yeah, pension right. freedom budget. <laughs> Blew that one out of the water. So, I mean, their head was very much more on the advice market than it was on the retirement income stuff. Um, and actually, I mean, you, you, that's a really interesting point you make around RDR and the sequencing there. I'd never thought about that before. It's always felt to me as if the FCA was a bit late to the party on the retirement income stuff and they were being poked and said, look, you need to look at this. And eventually they launched the retirement income market study. Then it got derailed by pension freedoms. And then they had the retirement outcomes review. Mm -hmm. We've done the investment platforms market study. And you know, then we've got investment pathways. And they've done value for money for IGCs and all that kind of stuff. And now we've got this thematic review. But it just feels like they've been slightly behind the curve all the way along on all of this. Yeah, playing a little bit of catch-up, aren't they? So I, I say I go back to the the fundamentals of, of risk measurement as we've immersed ourselves in in risk in retirement in the investment world. There's some real challenges there, but I'm not sure that the risk assessment side has caught up with mm -hmm. the challenges of, well, what are the risks, the true risks of retirement 
in, in, in the world of just, we would regularly be talking about not just attitude to risk, but capacity for loss. And has that ever found the same level of engagement? We, we, we've all got risk ratings. We can do risk questionnaires and come out with scores. I'm not sure the same level of scrutiny comes on capacity for loss. There's some work emerging in that space, but it's those two factors, those two aspects that need to be perhaps considered together rather than one trumping. Who's up. who's doing the work around the capacity for loss? Well, I, I know that EV are doing some work okay. there and a couple of other firms are looking at how that might play out and, and are there the appropriate risk measures because in portfolio construction, it tends to be attitude to risk only. Yes. Uh, and that's a, a well-trodden path. It worked. It's proven. Yeah. Where are you on a scale of one to ten? There we are. Yeah, there you go. And, and there'll be a portfolio to match it. Yeah. And that probably, with some devi- small deviation, applies both pre in the accumulation phase, I should say, and the decumulation. There's, there'll be some other measures there. And, the, and typically, though, I'm not sure enough weight is added to that discussion on risks of retirement income, perhaps running short later on and being quantified. But I mean, that is, has always been, you know, that is the problem with drawdowns. So, I mean, it's just, I'm just going to touch briefly on some numbers on the retirement income data stuff from the FCA. If you take the six months from October 20 through to March 21, of 300,000 plans were accessed for the first time, only 31,000 of them, so like 10%, went into an annuity. And I find that really interesting. So like about a third of them, 91,000, went into drawdown. And the, and the rest just got cashed out, but the vast majority <laughs> yes. of them were was, was small parts. So it's like, yeah. you know, is this a retirement income strategy? Not really. It's just, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's almost like an ice. It's just a, a savings pot. But people aren't buying annuities still. But I find this really interesting because, uh, and I think about this a lot more now, I'm sort of in my mid-50s, so it's, you know, I'm starting to think about this kind of how I manage my accumulated savings through the rest of my life and that tension of maximising your consumption and your quality of life in the early years of retirement balanced against the loss aversion. You know, the, 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 you, you really don't want to run out and suddenly find you spent, you spent too much money in your in your 60s and now you haven't got enough money in your 80s. And that's a real challenge. And to your point about risk management, you know, in my experience talking to, to retired people, the thing they don't want is surprises. You know, they want, mm-hmm. they want yep. a reasonable degree of confidence the income's going to come in every month because they've not got the human capital now to go out and generate more income if they need to. That's gone. They're just relying on their savings and they really, really don't want to do anything silly with those savings. And I think that's, that's a huge difference to the accumulation phase that you just kind of touched on there. You know, that, that difference. And I, I agree with you. I'm not sure that's been... IFAs might start shouting at me at this point, but I'm, I'm not sure how well that's been explored so far. Well, I think, isn't it, there's, there's a, a view that as long as my pot, my, my fund is, is a performing well, the same characteristics allow me to take uh, an income from it. I can ride out the, the peaks and troughs of performance. And, and generally, as I say, over the last, well, certainly in the last what, 14, 13, 14 years, that, that's, that's probably would have played out. The issue has been more more lately, hasn't it, in the last 12, 13 months where mm. we've seen challenges, particularly in the bond market, yep. Tom, and I think, I think the, the issue we see here is that the, the bond element of a portfolio has, has suddenly maybe 
it's actually been seen as it's not the the non-correlated asset that we thought it was and, and therefore its purpose in a portfolio maybe hasn't quite come through and supported the equity content. That kind of classical theory of portfolio construction, which has mostly served us pretty well. Yeah, and as absolutely. you say, you know, we've we've been blessed by blips along the way, but largely rising markets post financial crisis. Go back to two thousand and eight, two thousand and ten, and since then there's been a fairly steady yeah. upward trajectory. Blips yeah, it's, it's been a tailwind, hasn't it? Yeah, and, and so so your point is that you know we can't assume that will continue, and that well, that's, I think, that's I think mask what, what it, and underlying risks that we weren't really cognizant of. I, th- I think we're probably aware they were there. We, we, QE's been talked about for, you know, when will it end? Mm. How will it taper off? And when, when will it become tightening? And we saw that happening on, in the fun and games of, of, uh, of the back end of last year. And that then all hell lets loose, isn't it, in, in, in terms of, of what happens into the markets. And that maybe, you know, I don't think anybody could have predicted that, but I think we were all ready for a the end of super cheap money and the, the consequence of that for the, for the bond markets and then for, for bond elements of portfolios was probably not wholly foreseeable, but there was, it was, there was some, so there were going to be some challenges arising. And those same factors, as, as you'll know, have been the ones that have been holding down annuity rates. And we'll all remember them a long time ago. And now we're seeing them bounce back. And it's it's that piece there which actually shows the, the, the good old annuity in it in its positive light because it is that counterbalance to portfolio performance because some of the things that we've seen in our business are that portfolios may have dropped you know, tens and 15% and everybody worries that that's taken them to a, a really worrying place. But annuity rates have gone up, what, 40% in yep. some places? So the buying power of a portfolio has probably increased during that time, but it's not something that people naturally would look to. And, and that's something that we then say, well, look, this annuity product actually has a place in a in a balanced portfolio. And this is this is the thinking we're trying to, to move forward now and gain some quantitative ev- evidence from some of the investment management firms where we're suggesting to them that a, por- a balanced portfolio may, may no longer be 60-40. It might be, look something more like 60-20-20. 20% going into a guaranteed income solution. Okay, so let's just, just back at the bus a little bit. Mm. We're talking here about, so I, I referenced the idea of you could crudely stick 70% of your money into a drawdown and stick 30% into an annuity. And I look there, I've got some guaranteed income, but I've handed over the capital and it's pretty clunky and it's, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's no, there are only real dials to control there. And it was a solution built in a binary world. And so what you're talking about now is saying, okay, that's one approach, and we recognise the need to have some secure income streams into our portfolio. But you could do it within a drawdown plan. And- you can, yeah, and, that, and that's the difference. I, I and again, I, I applaud, I recognise the the real value and the flexibility the drawdown wrapper brings to the party. Yeah, the ability to turn off money. My my parents in, in their time, you know, their spending dropped during during later retirement. And the income coming in from their guaranteed sources wasn't actually needed. But, they yeah, were but it just keeps it. throwing it out every month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and whereas the drawdown wrapper, the, the ultimate flexibility aided by the 
often aided by the advisor uh, managing that for the customer, that can really add value there. So the drawdown wrapper itself has got inherent benefits and, and things that we should recognize and use. So the idea we've brought to market allows the annuity, the guaranteed income solution to be held inside the drawdown wrapper and just be another asset of the portfolio, overall portfolio. So and I wanted to dig into that a little bit more and about the idea of that as an asset class in its own right within a drawdown plan and how how that would work and you know i I don't want to just turn this into a a a protracted advertisement for for just brilliant innovative product design but really about how that works as a theoretical level a principal level as an asset class within a portfolio and what that looks like and how that to me again thinking back to my hargreaves days the inherent appeal of putting it all in one place in a drawdown plan certainly if you're an advisor not having this annuity just sitting off to one side that's not really part of the portfolio you know so being able to bring it into one place put it on one platform use it as as an asset class within a within a portfolio construction i can see the inherent appeal of that so just talk a bit more about how that works ah it's it's as simple as that tom really that that we're conditioned to think of and and the taxation regime tells us that generally annuities would be a standalone product issued by a life company, bought by a customer or trustees of a scheme. If you like, they're oil and water to the investment world. Where we want to move forward is thinking of, just as as advisors look for diversity in portfolios today, probably in, in, in response to some of the fixed income challenges. If we can create an asset that, that sits within a portfolio, has units and effectively just looks on platform like every other asset held, then maybe we're we're bringing some different characteristics to play that do support the production and the generation and the certainty of income from an overall portfolio to a client. And I suppose in the end, and and again, I've, I've looked at many, many portfolios, including family members, really, they look at how much income they're able to take at the end of the month. They don't, don't go down each, each asset and say, how much did that throw off this time? Because that's all been built into the, into the portfolio construction. Here is another asset that's producing a good level of income that's supporting the portfolio at quite a considerable level because you know with annuity rates rising you can now get something like eight percent income and as i said earlier if a, if an asset in your portfolio is generating eight percent is that 20- what we're talking about here about yeah. uh, that kind of level of yield yes uh, and again careful with yield because it isn't just pure <laughs> yield but it, it's recognizing that purchasing and using a, a portion of the portfolio to buy what is in effect an annuity that can give you eight percent income if you use 20 percent of a portfolio it means for somebody looking for overall four percent the balance of the uh, portfolio only needs to generate 2.4 right yeah no i can see yeah and and if that's the case consider the strain that that's having and the impact on ongoing value of the portfolio and the the non-intuitive outcome here is that a portfolio will actually perform better in the presence of of the annuity. One of the things we touched on through 2022, second half of 2022, was this uncomfortable discovery that occasionally 
bonds can be pretty closely correlated to equities. Yeah. And I guess another aspect of this is that what you're talking about here would be pretty uncorrelated with with your, with your equity portfolio. Absolutely. It's that, it's that again, uh, I listened to people saying, I'm looking for those new assets. I'm looking to, to, to source new assets, non-correlated assets, alternatives. You know, I'm looking at a number of places for that. And actually, there's probably one that's in plain sight, but not being looked at and not considered. And that's that's what we're trying to do is to is to just bring consideration for the characteristics of this asset. Okay, so we're talking about an asset that can sit in within a drawdown plan, can sit on a platform. It's uncorrelated with equities. It really helps with your portfolio construction because it allows you to take a a less constrained approach to your to your the equity portion of your portfolio and the, the funds or whatever you select there throwing off eight percent income it's uh <laughs> what, what, what are the downsides here, the downsides <laughs> the downsides that, that that capital is put aside you know we've created the product so it, it, it actually could be encashed the value gain there isn't isn't a good one it, it's a it's a real rainy day problem but yeah you've, you've effectively said you've ring fenced that asset and said that's not really one that i should be considering as a liquid asset, mm-hmm. but it is there. But but in many ways, you know, there's, there's a number of property funds that aren't very liquid <laughs> these yeah. days. And and by using a modest amount of your portfolio to invest in this asset, it does free up the rest of the portfolio to be invested without the constraints. And, and I say, I'll go back too many years in this industry, Tom, and back in the days, and I'll, I'll, I'll take the the problems for it, but I was involved in low-cost endowments. Okay. And my, my boss at the time was telling me, I don't know why anybody bothers, you should buy term and invest the rest. And, and in many ways, this is that where we are saying that let the annuity do the, the job of providing lifetime guaranteed income into the portfolio, and that allows the investment decisions to be made for investment reasons. And the conversation we've had with asset managers they're almost saying, well, why have you not talked to us about this before? This means we're not trying to cover off all of those risks with the wrong assets. We can go and invest for real growth. So I appreciate it. it's going to depend on the, the equity portfolio and the specific circumstances. But I was talking to Simon Eagle a while ago about CDCs and he hmm. decumulation CDCs. And he's like, yeah, we can get 50% more income. So, okay, that would be, say, a 6% income instead of a 4% income. And uh, you talked here about the equity portfolio and the income of 8% from, from the secure income product you're talking about here. So can you talk in any kind of numbers, what would the overall, I appreciate it does depend on the equity portfolio, but if I'm sitting mm. here thinking, well, I could take, you know, a standard drawdown portfolio, which might throw out sort of 3%, 3.5%, I could take, you know, maybe squeeze it up to 4%. Mm. It's the old 4% rule. Yeah. What, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Look, we're talking here of, of, of pushing it towards 4.5%. And again, it's horses for courses, different customers, different circumstances. The product itself, just like our, all the other annuities from Justice, is underwritten. So it'll depend on health and the, the age at which you take it. But it, it's augmenting drawdown time. I think. I think in the CDC world, and, and you know, a lot of water to go under the bridge. Mm. But I, I do see the the comparator there being made regularly against the annuity. I, I'm very much in the drawdown camp for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier: the freedom, the uh, opportunity for legacy, all of those things. Again, mixing and matching risk appetite for all of those things and desire. 
this is augmenting drawdown and, and hopefully as, as, as will come out, you know, will be improving drawdown, the lot of drawdown. I see CDC very much being generally I'm trying to improve on the annuity. I think the last few years has, ta- has taught us that the interest in, in drawdown is, is, is a good start place. And if we can augment that, that's that's where we go. Yeah, and so it's about producing the overall blend produces a better risk managed return. Um, that's it. Yeah, in both elements of that equation, both in terms of the risk management and in terms. Yeah, of the and I think and I think it's able it's able to to ride out a few more of the deeper bumps in the road than we've seen lately, which have caused problems. Okay, um, so what's going on under the bonnet? What do you, what you, so a financial advisor puts together his portfolio, uses DFM, whatever, he comes, they, yeah. you know, they, they come to you and they say, right, right, Peter, we've got this yeah. 20% here. Can, can, yeah. can you stick it in your product? What, what happens next? What do, you, what do you actually do with the money? We invest it in the long-term fund. It sits alongside all the other assets that are fully FSCS protected. So it's an asset which will do that. But in the back office, it's sat there with all the other annuity money with its own characteristics. The closest analogy, Tom, would be a a sort of value protected annuity because the customer research we did right at the start told us the customer wanted three things. They wanted the highest income they could get. And that was particularly at a time when maybe annuity rates weren't, weren't where they are today. They told us that if they died very quickly, they didn't want the annuity company to keep all their money. So in old money, that's that's making sure there's a death benefit. But it recognizes that this is an asset of drawdown. So a drawdown plan's not interested in a five-year guarantee or a 10-year guarantee, much more interested in, on death, a lump sum, which is just contributing to the drawdown fund, is paid into the drawdown wrapper and okay. is then dispersed. I was going to ask you about the death benefits. So what, what do they look like there? Do you, do you so it's, it starts at it 75%, 75% it tape and then tapers off right. from that level. So again, it was it's that, it's that value equation of how much money do I want to give up for death benefits? And again, recognizing this is only circa 20% of a portfolio. So the, in yes. terms of loss of day one, Twenty-five percent of twenty percent is four percent. So you'd you'd, you'd for, out for go. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Quick maths. <laughs> and and you know we've we've seen portfolios drop by more than that yeah. this year. So just in terms of that, it, it's it's an insurance against those fully running out of, of of income. And again, we have to be careful. People don't run out of money. The value of the pro, of, of an annuity can drop to zero, but it's still producing income. So it's about loss of income. And what this product does is make sure that the drawdown will always generate income for as long as the customer lives. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I get that. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And I think, I mean, elsewhere, we could talk about... Sometimes do about death benefits on drawdown mm. plans, which you know, I, I think the tax system is quite generous in yes. that regard. Yeah. And the IFS for talking about this recently and pointing to that, and broadly, I agree with them. But for now, you know, if if I've got half a million pounds in my drawdown portfolio, and as you suggested, I put twenty percent into a secure lifetime income, so that's a hundred thousand. I've still got four hundred thousand pounds in yeah. my drawdown plan for the death benefits, even if that one hundred thousand pounds has a tapering declining value in terms of death benefits and tom the appreciation of that remaining 400 will be greater yes. because of the income strain is much reduced yeah so, so i'm sitting there now with oh and you know since we're talking about death benefits is this underwritten yes it is yeah we, we take the um customer through a a digital journey again it's all operated from platform 
and it's just a digital purchase. So it's a fully digital solution. But there is underwriting. There is the some of the medical companies' annuities is is involved here. Yeah. And can can it be sold down again? Can you reverse? It can, yeah. And again, the death benefit can effectively for the death benefit. What we're aware of is a customer who may be received bad news of a terminal illness, for instance, and we think, oh, well, I better cash that in. Well, mm-hmm. so what we do is we make the the cash in value the same effectively the same as the death benefit. So there's no no need to do that because it, one wouldn't be um, prejudiced one way or the other. So this operates like a, what, effectively a trustee investment. It's, it's yes, an investment option yep. that sits yep. within. So you are presumably dependent upon the platform to make the investment option available as part uh, of their drawdown product? Yes. Um, yeah. And I can I can see the appeal if I'm a financial advisor. Presumably, this will throw out some recurring income to me. Well, it's it's uh, no change. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a it's an asset of the SIP. So yeah. the agreed remuneration is likely to be X percent of the uh, of the value. Of and the half million just, portfolio rather. Yeah. Than, yeah. So yeah. So. And if the half million dropped by four percent on day one, that's what he'll. Now, obviously, that can change because that's an agreement between the customer and, yes. the, and the client and the advisor. But let's assume nothing. No, we don't want to upset that apple cart in any way. It would just persist. It's just it's just a, a, a contributor to the overall portfolio value. And how you know we, we we talked a bit about this towards the end of last year. I'm aware that you know Seven IM make this product available on their platform. How widely available is it? It's now? it's currently only available on Seven IM and Novia. There are two introductory partners, and what we're gathering now is is more evidence of the value and the benefits of doing it uh, of using it in the portfolio and uh, you know i'll unashamedly say i think the bounce back in annuity rates is, is very helpful because at least then they're, they're not seen as dare i say even a toxic asset but also the issues with, with portfolio construction in terms of the old 60 40 portfolio has meant that people are prepared to have a look at other things. So this is one of the other things they're looking at. And you know, we're not alone. Other other investment houses will be will be putting forward their own suggested alternative investments. And obviously, we're only concentrating on the people who are taking income from their portfolios. Tom, there are many people who are classified as drawdown who aren't taking income. And again, this this might have some benefits. In the main, it's for those who are have commenced the income journey from from the drawdown arrangement yeah the overall outcome is is just a better value for the customer so you're you're doing this as an insurer um, yes uh, which kind of makes sense given your annuity heritage do you think other providers are going to launch this similar kind of product are you aware of any other insurers looking at this yeah we talk all the time to the other insurers and yes there is interest a little bit of chickens and eggs and priorities and other things like that but yeah i think all of the the current participants in the annuity market have, have had a look maybe not just yet i think is the the view for them shows shows all the uh, the other platforms you're talking to and we're talking to them and you know the platform market has had its well it's going it's perpetual change isn't it in that space in terms of who's buying who and who's replatforming to what but we we see a bit of a, a journey because it there is there is a technology element to this to to enable the platform to digitally buy the solution so 
it takes a project and some time and some resource to do that. Do you think, is there a consumer duty dimension to this? Do you think that's going to impinge on this as a proposition at all? I don't think it would impinge. Again, I wouldn't like to like to sort of hang my hat and say, well, we'll follow the coattails of it. I think for us, it's about the personalization of the solution. Perhaps a little bit too often, we will put people into categories. And, you, you know, we said earlier, you know, you want to say five or 10 risk categories and you'll all end up in that. Well, there must be subgroups of that. So the overall ability to configure this anywhere from 0% of your portfolio through to 99% of your portfolio buying this is is quite an interesting one because Mm -hmm. I think then you can point to the fact that the solution is tailored to the individual characteristics. Now, that, that doesn't always play to the the way in which the process of of asset allocation works because we tend to work in buckets. But this would allow you to effectively, I mentioned 60-20-20 earlier, but there's no reason why that couldn't be 65-21 and whatever the other number is that I can't work out. Have you published any research around this and around the portfolio construction incorporating this this approach to its alternative asset class? Yeah, so we we did some work, it'll be two years ago now, with, a, with the firm, maybe a competitive firm of yours, with Platform, they did a research paper on this. We Even before the launch of this, Milliman did some work yeah. about uh, a good look at actually, and, and they went the whole hog and said, this would be in 1718, I think, where they were saying maybe swap out all of bonds and put annuities in and show bold. you how that works. That was a bit bold, as I say, but I think it showed the, the thinking that if you get really into the, the numbers, there are arguments for it. I think that was, personally, I think that's a step, an unnecessary step too far, but the concept of the value of a guaranteed income generation supporting an invested portfolio that's the bit we want to get into into the mind's eye and, and particularly of the the tools that are used by advisors in in portfolio construction because one of the barriers to to us has been well yeah but i use xyz cash flow model and um, that doesn't tell me this so my investment committee has determined that i'll follow xyz cash flow and asset allocation and we need to be represented on there. Uh, right, so there's a bit are. of inertia there. There's, a, there's definitely inertia, and I follow a well-trodden and approved path. And you know, part of mm. the, the compliance world will say you need a repeatable process. Well, this needs to be part of that repeatable process. Yeah, but reversing into that, uh, an asset class that sits there like a pulsar, just pinging out regular income stream within the within the drawdown plan. I mean, you know. I can see the appeal of that. Yeah, it is. I suppose, Tom, for, for it, it's not how our how the investment community has thought of it. It, it. It's been an asset that's on the other side of the fence, so wouldn't normally come into the consideration. And all of the modelling tools that, that are in the market today generally will talk to you about, you know, well, we could have this asset mix. What's your, what's your risk profile? It will align to this sort of portfolio. And almost you, you're in a in a closed shop there. If you're not in in that mix, then you, it's quite hard to break into it. Today. I guess it's partly why I was asking about the research because you know you you need to you need to take people with you a bit on this, don't yeah. you? You need to produce the thought leadership that says, no, look, this is how you can do things differently, and here are some some examples and different you know models. But as you said earlier, Tom, it's really important that it isn't all upside. There is some there is a step back to take too forward. Would be my analogy on this. Um, yeah, you yeah. do need to invest in a in somewhat of a 
a very illiquid, reasonably liquid asset. That doesn't naturally come, isn't where most advisors would naturally think. But I think the recent, as I say, bond market issues has meant that that's had to happen. So in that debate, we'd like to introduce the concept of a guaranteed income asset class. Look, makes sense to me. Do you have any kind of sort of time frame on how you think this will, will roll out? Uh, we've got, as you ever, this time of year, we have ambitious plans this year to appear on a few more platforms and, and become more involved in, let's say, those, the tools that the advisors use so that it becomes a little bit more of a, a, a mainstream consideration. And that's what we need it to be. It's, you know, we're not, we're not imposing it. What we want to make sure that it's, it's in the mix for selection as an asset. Yeah. And if we, uh, what we'd like to do is, is work with a couple of discretionary fund managers who might build retirement portfolios that for once might include the asset. And yeah. that's our, that's our path this year. Interesting. Okay. So let's just bring it right back around sort of to where we started. I just want to finish off back at the FCA and the thematic review. I mean, they only announced it, I think, uh, what, yesterday? So yes. <laughs> at yeah, the time yeah, of yeah. recording. Any any hopes, expectations, thoughts around where that might take us over the next couple of months? Um, well, I, I would hope that the FCA aren't overly focused on you know, what's happened in the last year. There's been, been a lot of good retirement advice given. I think I go back to the they might want to look at whether the some of the risk measures that I think were mm. held over brought in from the accumulation planning stage, say pre-freedoms because of RDR, that whether they're they're fully appropriate and, and, and match meet all the needs of clients, potentially see a need for another a risk measure around retirement income coming in, so that a portfolio will be assessed how that would work for a client would be assessed on the upside and the downside because i think we tend to look one way only interesting peter it's been great to talk to you i really appreciate your time this morning and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next with all of this thank you very much tom great to speak to you too so there we go i hope you found that interesting and not too much of a product sales pitch as the FCA's thematic review rolls through in the first half of this year, I'm sure this is an issue we'll be returning to. I'd love to hear what you think, and in particular how risk assessment and portfolio construction tools need to evolve, so do get in touch. Thanks for listening. <laughs>